0: People are going to talk about you, and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. There'll be flower arrangements, photo collages, tissues, and amazing grace, and people are going to talk about you. They're going to do more than just talk about you. They're actually going to weigh in and value and judge your life. And you won't be able to do anything about that. Reminds me of a story Joe shared with me early in his ministry. There was a man at his church at the time named Eddie. And Eddie was coming to the end of his life and was in a hospital. The family called and asked Joe to come. And so Joe came into the room and went right up to the side of the bed and he could tell that as he stood there, Eddie was quickly deteriorating. In fact, he, he motioned for a pen and a paper to, to scrawl something down. And, and it was this last action. After he wrote that, he passed. And just in the moment, Joe didn't even really notice the note. He had just folded it and dealt with the situation as it was and put it in his Bible. And it wasn't until during the, the funeral service and during the message that he remembered that he had that note. And he said... I actually have his last words and we all knew him and I imagine he left something inspiring for us there and so he pulled out the the paper and unfolded it which said, "Hey, you're standing on my oxygen tube." <laughs> oh dear. So unless you write a note, the only way you have anything to say or you can say about what will be said about you is how you live today. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about how we can approach life in such a way that we will leave a legacy far beyond our own life. We're in this series that's called Seven. Because we believe that you can live and leave a godly legacy. And there's a statement that I am convinced about. That everyone can leave a godly legacy by following Jesus in seven areas of life. And these things that we'll talk about are common to us all. But tonight... We start with the most central thing about us, and it is our spiritual life, the spiritual life. We must talk about this and search God's word for truth on this, because it's in this area that influences every other area of our life, how we live our faith. We have to talk about it because it's the thing that will speak the loudest when people talk about us. And we need to talk about it because in this area, we are all deeply broken. We're talking about the deepest, truest part of us, our spiritual life. If you need proof that your spiritual life is broken, just look at your physical life and see how broken that is. But I have a confession to make. I can't make you holy. I can't make my wife holy. I can't even make myself holy. There was a little boy named Timmy, eight years old, and he had just got a newly purchased pair of jeans. And he went outside to play, and he had great adventures planned. And so he climbed trees, and he dug a tunnel through his sandbox, and he jumped and ran and slid and dove through a self-made obstacle course. the end of the day, he had a satisfying day of play, a dirty face, and as you could imagine a nicely ripped hole in his newly purchased jeans. So his mother, seeing this hole, thought she had the perfect teaching moment. So she leans down and turns his shoulders towards him, and she says, Timmy, I see you ripped a hole in these newly purchased jeans. He turned his eyes away and looked down and said, I know, Mommy, I didn't mean to, Honest." And she looked at him and she said, it's okay, sweetheart. There's a lesson here. We replace what we ruin and you can pay me back. See, I can make you holy just about as well as I can make up a joke. It's not my job description. In fact, only God can do this. Only God can make us holy. Only God can take something that was dead spiritually and bring it to new life. That's His work. So we need His truth, His wisdom to speak into our lives so that we can attain and live this kind of life that's possible for us. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 is where we're going to be, and here's what I want to give you. I want to give you one verse with two truths and four practices. So we're going to go to Galatians chapter 2, one verse, two truths, four practices, because one plus two is four, and now you know why I'm in ministry. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is where we are, and it is one of the most central verses in all of the Bible about the Christian life. Dr. Henry Morris, who is the founder of the Institute for Creation Research, said that this verse is the secret to live the Christ-honoring Christian life. Wouldn't you want to have that said about your life? That you lived in such a way... That Jesus was honored by it? Well, he says this verse holds the secret, and I think he's right. So we're going to look at it closely this evening. Let me read it for you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'll read it again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to pull this verse apart in some sections, but first I want to let you know this is the very first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, the letter to the Galatians. And the reason he wrote this letter was because in this newly born church, a teaching had entered it that said that you could have Jesus, but you needed to have other things to truly have spiritual life, to truly live the life that that God wanted for you. You needed to have Christ plus works, especially works from the Old Testament. And this was confusing many people. Even the most mature people in the church were getting influenced by some of this teaching. Like the Apostle Peter and even Paul's ministry partner Barnabas. The preceding verses talk about how Paul had to call them out on getting mixed up in false teaching. So Paul wrote a central verse for us. That's the foundation for us living the spiritual life. So we're going to look at it in a few parts here. First, I want to look at this first phrase. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is where Paul begins. Now, one of the things that you should either circle or underline is just how personal this verse is. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Paul is establishing that that my life, that I have, is linked to Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. He's very specific. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's an interesting way to phrase that. Because he could have said, I was crucified with Christ because Jesus' crucifixion had already happened. He He had been killed, he had been buried, and he had risen to new life. But Paul didn't say that. He didn't say, I was crucified. He said, I have been. And you may have a version of the Bible that says, I am crucified in Christ. This is a very specific way to phrase this because Paul is saying there was something that happened in the past that still carries power and it makes a difference today. You see, what Jesus did for us on the cross wasn't simply get out of hell card. Here you go. The power of the cross is something that, that changes us, moves us from death to life, and then enables us to be like Him, to live like Him for the rest of our lives. Paul's saying, I am crucified. I have been crucified. And he starts there because this, it's, he starts with the basis of Jesus Christ is our life. Christ is our life. The reason I have spiritual vitality and that my life will last forever is not because of me. I'm from Oklahoma. So you know that's not true. It's because of Jesus. And it's only because of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's these verses that Paul uses in Galatians 5 and 6 and Romans 6 where he'll talk about how he identifies with the death of Jesus that I used to be something, but that part of me died. The sin and the guilt and the shame is gone. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory when we think about the spiritual life guys it is all about Jesus and the life that we find in him you see it's very popular to be spiritual lots of spiritual folks i went down watermaker and got all green lights and that was spiritual The spiritual life is the Jesus life. You want a spiritual, vital life, if you have been searching for the answer to your soul, it is Jesus Christ. And if you have made your way in here, looking for an answer, I'm telling you, to begin a new life with Jesus... You do this. You say, I can't, I'm not finding the answers on my own. There's something between me and God, and the Bible would call that sin. We all fall short. But God loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son to die for us, that whoever would believe in Jesus Christ would not perish but have everlasting life. My greatest desire for everyone in this room is that you would be on the same page with me saying that this life is not about me. It is about the life of Christ that was shed for me. He died for me. He was buried and he rose from the grave. And because of his power, I'm made clean by simply believing and having the faith that Jesus is who he says he is. That he did what he said he did. So when we talk about the spiritual life, I'm not talking about covering your body with smooth stones and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about Jesus. Because He is our life. Let me give you this first truth about the spiritual life. The spiritual life is a seeking life. It's a seeking life. Paul says, "...in the life I now live in the flesh..." I live by faith in the Son of God. So he's turned his attention from what has been done for him. I have been crucified. Now I live. I live presently and continually seeking after Jesus. The life I now live, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God. So the spiritual life is not a stagnant life. It's not, I got my get out of hell card, and now I'm just going to look pretty. It's, I've been transformed, and I've been given a new pursuit in my life. And his name is Jesus. Paul says, this is the life for me, right now, today. I'm going to live it by faith. So let's understand this. To seek Him is a daily pursuit of God and His character. A daily pursuit of God and His character. Jesus did this daily. He would steal away to quiet places to meet with His Father, to seek His face, to bring His, his concerns and His mission to the Father. He had a regular daily pursuit of God. We have in Galatians 5:22 to 23 what God is like. These are things that are called the fruit of his spirit that's at work in all of us who believe. It says that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You want to know what God is like? God is love. And peace. In vacation Bible school, I sang a song called I'm a Fruit on a Big Fruit Tree. Look at all this fruit hanging around me. Oh, I've got peace, love, joy, kindness, goodness, faithful, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. General, you know that's what you have in Christ. See, we're, we're to seek after the one who is the perfect model of love and joy and peace and self-control and all these things listed there. And you can look at each one of those and go, huh, ah, I'm not arrived there. But this is the life that we're to seek after. Many of you may have already known this and may have known this for a long time. So I want to share something with you that's a challenge to me. That is, to live by faith is to trust Him over your own resources. To live by faith is to trust Him over your own resources. You see, there's there's lots of stuff that happens to us that move us very quickly to God. And it usually comes in the form of a diagnosis we can't pronounce. You have, oh, I don't know what that is. And I can't fix it, so God, I need you. Or a crisis happens in your family, or you get blessed with triplets, and you're driven to your knees. They are beautiful, by the way. But you're quickly driven to your knees. But man, woman, There are daily things that happen that we don't turn to the Lord. We think we got enough resources. I got this handled. I've got education in this area. I've got experience in this area. I got this. And it doesn't go well. And then we get anxious and then we get worried and then we get frustrated. And then we're reminded of wisdom from God. That's found in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. This is a home run verse for us. Because the spiritual life is a seeking life, it's a daily pursuit of God and who He is. And we demonstrate that pursuit out of a trust relationship. We don't lean on ourselves. And this will be a daily challenge no matter how long you've walked with God. A neighbor of mine, I was uh, walking through the neighborhood and we were, t- we were talking, and um, she told me that about 13 years ago, she was at a really uh, difficult point in life. She was having medical issues that was going to result in her no longer being able to have, or, no, yeah, not being able to have a child. And so she was dealing with a diagnosis she couldn't understand. She was dealing with the death of a dream that she that she desperately wanted. And she was really at a low point. And the Lord brought a friend into her life who, who wrote her a letter and told her about uh, the love of God and shared scriptures with her. And she, you think she kept that letter? Oh, yeah. The woman hand-delivered it to her. They read it together. They cried together. And she kept that letter. Because God had shown up for her. Thirteen years later, she was doing spring cleaning just recently. And guess what she found? The letter. That day, her phone rang. It was her friend that had written that letter. Who had just received a diagnosis of cancer. And no longer wanted anything to do with God. What she was facing and the things that she had faced just drained her of hope. And her tank was empty. So my neighbor says, Why don't you come over? I have something for you. She says, I have this letter that you wrote me, and let's read it. And they read it, and they cried. And God showed up. You think you and your resources can do stuff like that? That's why we got to trust him. Over our resources. Because he never fails. So the spiritual life is a seeking life. But it's more than just seeking after God. The spiritual life is a serving life. Paul says, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, Jesus changed me forever. That affects how I live and how I trust. And he models for me how I should live. Motivated out of a life of love. Dedicating my life to give to give my life away because he gave himself for me it's a serving life it's an obedient response to god and his love for you you know there's a measure of obedience here first john 5:3 says for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments And His commandments are not burdensome. The greatest commandment God has given us is to love Him with everything we have. That's the first and greatest commandment, to love Him with all your being. See, it's being just like Jesus who loved us first. But it's to obey things commanded to us. So, we're to serve like Jesus to guide others spiritually. I want you involved in ministry and I want you to serve, but my heroes in this church are named Greg Kopp and Zach Wetzel because they're my son's trail guides and they're teenagers. Every week, Greg and Zach respond knowing that even though they are young, no one can look down on them because Jesus has changed their life. And they can live by faith and they can guide others spiritually. And so they're taking my son and they're, having, they're getting to help him understand his faith. Because they're there because there wasn't a grown man. To serve first grade boys. Maybe it's by God's design that He would take two teenage boys and they'd say, I can guide someone spiritually because someone's doing that to me. They're loving my boy. They're my heroes. Mary Pogue has been my daughter's trail guide since she was a kindergartner. My daughter's fourth grade there is a person showing up week in and week out, giving herself away so that my daughter can be led spiritually through her. Listen to this command. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our command is to make disciples Every person in a relationship with Jesus Christ is called to guide someone else spiritually. Did you know that? And God's not waiting for you to get better or smarter. He's saying, I've already loved you. I've already transformed you inside and out. You are already enough to give someone else guidance. One of my closest friends in this city is named Blake Sutton and we take man walks. That's right. Man walks. And we go walk our neighborhood and we share life. He's one of the few people in my life who will question the things that I say. That's healthy. He's an analytical guy and he'll, if you say one thing he'll want to know why he is that. And why do you think that? What about this? And what about that? It gets tiresome. (laughs) But I walk with him. Because he hungers to leave a godly legacy. Like I hunger to leave a godly legacy. We can all do this. And to follow Jesus in the spiritual life, you must seek and serve God. You see that? It's what Jesus did. Daily he sought the Father. He gave his life for you. And the real spiritual life is doing the same. If you're not giving your life away to someone else, it's time to start whether it's children or students or peers or the elderly. It's his command. Make disciples. So I want to give you four practices. Four practices that if you do these, it sets you up for success. Because I believe God works in a unique and special way in your life when you do them. And the first is this, that you walk daily with God in reading and prayer. Now listen, I'm all a fan of a daily quiet time. Where you carve out time in the morning or in the best time for you. And that you have dedicated time to Bible reading and prayer. That your spiritual life with Jesus goes beyond that 15 minute window. Or for the u- uber spiritual 20 minute window regular conversation with God. I find that there are people that are so good with structure. They got the 15-minute deal. It's just the remaining hours of the day and remaining aware of God and seeking him that's a challenge. Others of you are gifted in the bullet prayers of whoosh, whoosh. But then that daily concentrated time is lacking. And God wants to show up. He doesn't want to hide his will from you like it's some game. Guess where my will is? (laughs) The more you seek Him, the clearer it becomes. Show up here. Participate in weekend worship. You think God has something special or specific for you and you alone when you gather with other believers to sing out, to hear His Word taught? It's not to come hear us. Come on. You have the living God who desires to do something unique and special in this place. So it matters to be here and to participate. And then to grow with a group. My connection with Blake Sutton grew out of my small group. We have groups all over this place. Groups on Tuesday night, groups that meet in homes, group, 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 group. Because we're convinced that you need relationships. We're convinced that you need people who actually show up and know what's going on when life happens to you. They're the people that you're able to call, or the people that can show up. Life is happening all the time. And without a group, you're going to feel like you're in this Christian life all by yourself. And you don't need to feel that way. You want a group? You let us know. And we'll do our dead-level best to get you connected. And then serve on a team. It was a seeking life and a serving life that we've been called into. Do you have a spot? Do you have a place where you're regularly serving, perhaps even guiding someone spiritually, the mountain, our children's program, reverb student ministry, peers. There's a space for you to have a contribution in God's kingdom. And He'll change your life. He'll change our lives so radically that when the day comes that we can no longer have a say, people will say this man this woman this child gave us jesus and that will happen you pray with me lord we want the summation of our life to be jesus christ to live like him to be like him lord thank you that we can simply trust you and seek you and serve and you make the change. You're the one who makes us holy. You're the one who sharpens us and transforms us. You're the one, God, who moves us from death to life when we believe in your son. So Lord, we want to respond now and worship. We want to sing from the deepest places of our heart because you have made us alive. And it's in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our model. God's people said, Amen.